This is uh, Colin, and uh, this is Joshua Michael over there in Colorado Springs. Say what's uh, say what's up. What's up? <laughs> that was simple. That's simple. Um, yeah. What are we gonna do? We're gonna look at uh, we're gonna look at the Next Generation episode, the Drumhead. Uh, probably a landmark episode. I don't know. It's yeah. probably a top twenty episode. I don't know. It's it's pretty uh, pretty important. I was actually looking it up earlier. Yeah. Season four, rated, episode twenty-one, rated the fifteenth best episode of Star Trek: Next Generation in twenty sixteen by the Hollywood Reporter. Cool. Actor Michael Dorn, who plays the character Worf on the show, stated this is his favorite episode of the series, and in particular liked Worf and Picard's scene at the end of the episode, which was fucking awesome. That's legit, dude. What? Uh, what are you looking? You're saying this is off the Hollywood Reporter, or is that the website you're on, or where did you no, find that? No, I'm an asshole on Wikipedia. Twenty fourteen. <laughs> 2014 Drumhead. In 2014, the Drumhead was rated as the 34th, 34th best episode of Star Trek by io9 when reviewing the top 100 episodes of all series up to that time. That's not bad. That's pretty good. <clears throat> 34 <laughs> out of uh, – what was it? When I was doing the auction, we talked about it being 700 hours of Star Trek, but we've had three original series movies, if you can call it that, um, since then, and we've had uh, two seasons of Discovery. Um, and man, they're just, Star Trek's coming back in a big way, I feel like, when you've got, they're talking about the possibility of doing a Captain Pike and the, uh, Captain Pike and Spock and number one on the, uh, Enterprise. Nice. As a offshoot of Discovery. I was just talking to my friend Kyle about that. And, um, and they're also talking about doing an animated series, but, uh, I don't know who would be, who would be, uh, broadcasting that right now. Oh no! I don't want animated. Oh, dude, the original series animated. Bullshit. The original series animated series was awesome, and they got everybody to come back and do their voices for that show. When did that come out? Uh, in the seventies. I want to say it's the seventies. It's a good thing to look up. The animated series. Oh. What years did they run that? Uh, yeah, nineteen seventy-three. <clears throat> to 1974. So it's basically the the fourth season of the original series. Is that why the comic started off on year five? The one that we just got the other day? No, the uh, IDW book we're talking about, they did a year four comic. Um, because people go back and forth on whether or not the animated series is canonical. I'm going to say right? it is. I'm going to go with that, which is cool because it has re- recurrent... Uh, appearances of some notable Klingons from the original series, Koloth in particular, if I'm not mistaken. And um, that's it's awesome because there's so many things that you can do with an animated series that you can't do with makeup and um, special effects makeup and other special effects and stuff like that. Because I know for a while they had a very 
unusual, questionably humanoid character on the show. I would, you know, I would really like to watch that series. You don't have it? Consequently, I do. Um, this, and this is an embarrassing thing. Uh, this buddy of mine, Frank, loaned it to me probably a decade ago. Uh-oh. And I've got to figure out if I've got it. Oh, man, I got to get that back to him. I'm a heel. I'm a heel. I'm a bad guy. <clears throat> yeah. Or you know what? I think what I'll do is I'll get him a brand new copy of it and uh, and and get it to him the next time I'm down in Austin because that's where he is. I, the last oh, I, I the last I heard, he was working at the Fleshlight Company. Really? Yeah. And I'm not going to awesome. explain what that means for anybody that doesn't know. You have the internet. <laughs> if you're listening, not to safe this, for work. <laughs> if you're listening to this, I can pretty much guarantee. Yeah. <laughs> knows what if, the hell. if you heard what I said. <laughs> You, I pretty much uh, guarantee you know what I'm talking about. You can <laughs> figure buddy, it out. My buddy Tyreek posted a, a, a meme yesterday. It was like, thank you to uh, Jenna Jameson, blah, blah, blah. Just, it went off on all these names. And I'm like, you forgot Corey Chase. You forgot Angela White. You forgot, <laughs> you forgot Lena Paul. You forgot. And I just like, how do I, I think I listed like 10 of them. Just like, oh, shit. <laughs> something, something wrong with me i should go back and delete that it's one of those things that it's gonna pop up on a on a facebook hey you remember this from last year like Shoot. oh god now <laughs> you think about all the stuff that we taught we talked about uh when we recorded yesterday and uh there was some stuff that i'm not entirely sure i want to do of uh, put out there to the world but there we are yeah, yeah. it's I, I yeah we were talking about the other night yeah yeah i was yeah. listening to it it's like yeah <laughs> well it's there Screw it. That's yeah. <laughs> all right. I, uh, after, after having some very negative feelings, sorry. Yeah. We should just get off of this. I'm just going to say that after having some very negative feelings about, uh, one of the people we were talking about in the past, um, I got an apology out of nowhere a couple of years ago. And, uh, that did it. That did worlds for me. It's really amazing when somebody apologizes to you out of nowhere for something that, it, they they it, they came to them of their own accord. Uh, it was a total misunderstanding. So sorry. In case you guys hear any thunder, I'm about to get slammed by a uh, pretty significant weather system. Um, that's what happens in Oklahoma in spring. <clears throat> anyway, let's uh, let's hit it. The drumhead. What do we got? Gene Simmons, not of Kiss fame, and that would be insanely cool. <laughs> Uh, actress Jean Simmons plays uh, Rear Admiral Nora Satie in this episode. And um, for those of you who are trying to win at Jeopardy, um, she was in Dark Shadows, the reimagined series in the 90s that I adored uh, as one of the, uh, I think, the grand dame of the Collins family. And... Uh, of course, Ben Cross was in that, and he plays Spock's father, Sarek, in the uh, JJ-verse movies, and I thought did quite a good job. Um, I'm not super hot on the guy playing Sarek in Discovery, uh, but whatever. And then uh, when we get into it, there's a character named Simon Tarsus, which is Poor guy. very biblically obvious, I'd say. Um, he reappears... Uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years older in a late season episode of Voyager as a holographic starch fleet officer named Weiss. And uh, yeah, 
sometimes you get that call back. They always liked having, uh, they, I mean, people just recurred in this show constantly, just like in the original series. So, uh, yeah, let's watch it. Ready? We're going to hit, we're going to engage at the end of a three I'm countdown. I'm not like ready yet. You're not ready. Okay. <clears throat> no, this thing is messing up on me. Oh, okay. You know, I don't even yeah. know if I've got, uh, yeah. Oh, man, it was so good with t- subtitles on. Yeah, I've got my subtitles on. Pow. Did it. Gotcha. Um <clears throat> Also, I I uh, got really Ric Flair and I wooed too loud earlier, so I'm a little bit hoarse. But I got my tea, as I do. It's not Earl Grey, however. It's uh, organic ginger turmeric. All right. <laughs> it's supposed to have, like, pain... Uh, de- what am I trying to say? Pain-relieving properties? I guess so, but send us off. All right, here we go. Uh, three, two... One engage. Captain Blanc, Stardate 447692.2. <laughs> turn on my subtitles. I don't know why they turned off. One thing I've noticed is I don't know if it's just me, but the next gen episodes on Netflix are way more high def than the ones that are on Hulu. Oh yeah, these are crisp. Yeah, the, like you can tell, especially in this episode, when they zoom in on the ship. Oh, man, you know, and they had multiple, of course, they had the four foot and the 11 foot models. And then they came in and they did uh, um, another model in later seasons that added more exterior detail, like plating and better relief on the um, escape pods. Looked really good, especially with with light hitting it. What's this guy's name? Jadan, which I take from the Star Trek The Next Generation customizable card game. I think he is like when we were talking about this episode earlier, uh, notice that his belt buckle is very Klingon. That is a very recurring Klingon belt buckle. Uh, but he is one of only two Klingons I've ever seen wearing a Starfleet com badge. The other being Worf. I noticed, I noticed that right away. Yeah. Cause he's an exchange program. This is the same exchange program that had Riker go over to the IKS Pach. In, uh, oh God, I can't remember the name of the episode. Code of Honor, is that right? That's not right. Um, it had Brian Thompson in it, and he shows up as a Klingon multiple, multiple times. Um, but it, like I say, it's the same exchange officer program. It's the one that also had Worf's brother Kern come over to the uh, Enterprise. In a, was that this season, or was that three? I don't know, but this... this, in, this uh engagement here between the two Klingons is fascinating to me. Just, you know that Worf just wants to destroy this guy. Just give me a reason to do it. And especially right here when he's like picking at wounds here and, you know, I can help you out. I can, I know powerful people. We can restore your honor no matter what your dad did. (laughs) No, that's, that's when he knew that guy was just a complete piece of shit. Man, uh, that's ridiculous. Why would, I know. Yeah. I think about that kind of stuff all the time with work. I can't believe Worf is turning his back on him. Oh, that was a setup, dude. Way to go. It's been a while no since I've seen this episode. There. No hesitation there. The only time I've ever seen someone hit someone like that, that awesomely was in Batman, the first one. Oh, too true. I guarantee that uh, I'm not a big Steven Seagal fan, but I've seen him do it too. Man, that was yeah, you- that was lit. Sorry, I was a millennial for a second. No worries. <laughs> Yeah, these are way more high def. Absolutely. That is really crisp, yeah. 
man. Do they always make it a point to show different planets? Because there's the moon, there's Saturn. They show different planets in our solar system at the beginning intros for each new season. No, they don't. Uh, oh, wait, for each season? No. I think the first season had kind of a different intro. It didn't have you going through that nebulaic cloud uh, and then getting whacked by the comet or whatever. Um, that came a little later. And I don't know, I mean, like, I don't know why you would add that after you've been running a different intro for a for a season when you have run times to consider, you know? The, the, the opportunity to generate more content, to tell more of a story. I, you know, most shows err on the side of, we need more material, let's shoot it, and then we'll cut what we don't need for airtime. And I'm talking about feature films as well. And right. Loads of commercials, but um, more is more in a particular way. But then when you get into other aspects of it, less is definitely more. I think that's mainly acting or writing. Less is more. <clears throat> I can't wait to meet Spiner. Oh, dude, yeah. yeah. When did you say that was? August? Yeah, August. And John Connor and the T-1000 in one whole day. Man, I'm at Thomas. Oh, yeah. Tell him what uh, what show you're going to, by the way. I'll see if I can make it. What show am I going to? The, oh, by the way, that's an Oberth class ship, if anybody gives a rip. That is a very odd, weak little ship for the Federation. They've been around since Star Trek III. Um, one of those odd, questionable things that you get with uh, 24th Century Trek. Why would you still be using ships that are over a, that are a century old? But hey, why not? It's only be, it's because they were cheap and they didn't need they couldn't make new models all of the time. This is supposed to be a cheap episode, which is why, uh, you know, we've already seen that pseudo courtroom, but they really didn't have to build a gigantic new set for anything in this. And they, I don't think they're going to go to any planets or do anything super crazy. It's not exactly a bottle show, uh, but uh, it's pretty close. I was anyway. suspicious of these assholes the second they beamed on the ship. Well, they're outsiders to the Enterprise crew, and we always know that's uh they're just not gonna be the same quality. Good point. Look at that big yellow or big uh frosted Whoa, what oh everything's shut down because of the explosion. Okay, I get it. I'm not sure about this one behind Picard, uh that lit wall panel. I feel like that's an unfortunate yeah. waste of space. <clears throat> how cramped do you think they were filming this all the time sorry how cramped do you think they were filming this the entire time like with the actors director uh camera guys boom mics well given that all of those walls like are probably what we call wilding walls you could probably move one out to accommodate a camera in this angle but uh and then i know you know like the Wow, we're getting a lot of rain now. It's I don't know if you guys can hear that, but I, I can't hear it. Okay, that's great. Um, the uh, then that big console in the middle of engineering would definitely be uh, something that they could lift up and move around. They do a good job of never bumping into it and giving us the uh, idea that it's on wheels or anything. So it was on wheels. It probably was on some kind of casters, uh, but. Uh, 
really and truly, I bet that the uh, the swing gang could, or the onset dresser and somebody else could get in there and like lift that thing and move it. Man, that's they blew out their dilithium chamber, dilithium matrix. Well, how are they still flying then? They're still on impulse power. They're just not at warp. Oh, gotcha. I mean, I don't know where they're going at full impulse. I mean, even in space, that's full impulse is supposed to be more or less light speed, I think. I'd have to look it up in uh, the actually the Star Trek technical manual that we talked about yesterday. They wouldn't just full full stop if something like that happened? I mean, full stop or full impulse, it makes really not that much difference when you can't get that far that fast, even at light speed, but they had a, uh, you know, a rendezvous with that Oberth class ship that I, I failed to capture the, uh, the name of it. Worf is so important in this episode. Look, the way she looked at him. Oh, wow. You yeah. just know she doesn't like him. I think she's skeptical of everybody. Well, I mean, you have to be, I mean, like I, I, I understood that the first time I watched this, mm-hmm. you have to, cause you're there to investigate everyone. It was just unfortunate the way that she actually exposed herself. This was ingenious. Hiding the technical blueprints within within someone's cells and not them not even knowing it, within their bloodstream. So it can be extracted later and read. And you just completely undetectable unless you know what you're looking for. Yeah, I mean, even during World War II, the partisans in France they were able to uh, hide things on the inside of like wine bottle labels and stuff, maps. They did all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, I think that they even explore that in uh, the Voyager episodes. It's a two-parter, Flesh and Blood, I think it is. I'm, I could be wrong. Uh, I'm sorry about the name of the episodes. I can't remember everything. There's more than 700 hours of Star Trek. But uh, there's an episode where the Herogen captures Voyager and they... Uh, and they force the Voyager crew to play out a uh, World War II scenario where they're the French resistance. But um, during the Cold War, I know that we had, like, things written micro-sized on, like, stamps and stuff like that. All right, this interrogation is important. She specifically picked Worf for this. One of the things that stands out to me in this in particular is that the interrogation scenes are always someone skillfully playing mental chess with them until you say the right thing to put them on edge into where they just say, fuck it. I'm going to say it. and I don't care. I'm pretty sure that's a trope of all courtroom scenes. <clears throat> oh yeah. She, he just pressed him to get him there. Purist. He wants nothing to do with the Federation. He's probably so on edge the entire time he's here. And he probably just detests Worf. Not because of what his dishonor and his family's dishonor, but for even just being involved in the ship so wholeheartedly. I think he dislikes Worf mainly. I mean, you look at this guy. If you go back and look at Star Trek VI, you've got Klingons who are ready to sue for peace with the Federation because the uh, their war machine is grinding to a halt. And there's been massive ecological damage to the capital of the Klingon Empire, Konos, because Praxis exploded, their moon. Um, 
And so you've got P- you've got Klingons who are saying, let's just go into an all-out war with the Federation and destroy them now. And you've got others who are saying, no, we have no choice. We have to sue for peace or we'll lose everything. And um, there's always this thing going on within the Klingons. There are Klingons who like the old ways, where they were like, you know, they don't like the treaty with the Federation. And then you have others who are like, no, that's the way it is. And we can go out and we can be aggressive against the Romulans or we can be aggressive against... Uh, I don't know, the Breen or some other species in the Beta Quadrant. Is this uh, is this guy that's helping within the interrogations, is he one of uh, Troy's species? A Betazoid? You asked me yeah. about that earlier. Um, I'll have to double check that. It's a good question. I'm going to look at it on my phone so I don't mess up our... Uh... Okay, here, <laughs> here we're switching roles here. She's making tea for him. Oh, is she using? She's not using the uh, the famous tea set yet. She's making tea for him, and then I didn't when she's when she goes into the spiel. I didn't believe a word she was saying. This is when I realized that she was not to be trusted. Was when and she starts tell when you tell someone when I first met you, I hated your guts. You know, it's it's kind of it's kind of offsetting. But then she goes into this goes into this long spiel about how. He's such a, you know, Picard's such a good guy and, you know, we can be partners on this and then, you know, like good cop, bad cop. I'm like, you know, you can trust me. I can, I'll, you know, we're, we're together on this, you know? And that's, that's what set me off when I knew that this woman was the enemy. Oh yeah. Her famous father. He's just so stoked to be there. He finally got to put his, his veil down. He's he's stoked to be in the presence of this woman because of who her father is and and her yeah. own prestige itself. She's a celebrity, he's, career celebrity, you know, Starfleet personality, and she she's a rear admiral that transcends having to wear a uniform. You know, by the way, the guy's name the the character's name is Saban Genestra, and he is a Betazoid. <clears throat> I always prefer working alone, which means you still like working alone and you're using me. Yeah. She, uh, she's actually the, um, uh, the Admiral who get, who like signed Captain Picard's orders to take over the, as the uh, captain of the enterprise. And this is the other scene that solidified my suspicions with her was that this gentleman here is going to say the same thing. You know, I was, distrustful of you at first but now i you know i can trust you and now now i know you're a good guy you can come to me oh yeah where did that happen recently what episode were we watching it's the same kind of thing oh oh yeah no i was watching um uh i was watching the one where they all get their minds wiped and then uh there's another another commander suddenly you can trust me wharf you're a warlike guy. You should come to me. We're we're more warlike. Um, you have nothing to prove. Bullshit. He has everything to prove. Not not from my perspective, but from Worf's perspective. That's that's he lives for it. <clears throat> See, this is one of those interesting occasions where Doctor Crusher has her com badge on her lab jacket instead of on her uniform. Is that like a mistake or is that something that? 
Well, you might think that a lot of things that you see in Star Trek are mistakes, but and Star Trek fans are big time on continuity. But right. what it really boils down to is that uh, it's whatever the director of the episode wants, and whether or not somebody is going to stand up and say that's ridiculous. It's just the case. The director says there should be a button panel right there. I want to busy the scene. And then somebody says, that's not the way it was in the last episode. And then uh, they're secretly let, they're slowly or they're quietly let go. So this guy that happens. What, huh? That happens. That I like heard it that it happened. Yeah. This poor bastard. I talked to Mike Okuda about that one time and. We had a very lengthy, he's not a McDonald's guy, but we had a very lengthy McDonald's lunch one day. And uh, I, I was like, man, I can't not take the opportunity to ask him a bunch of pointed questions. What about this? What about that? And that was one of the questions, you know, why, why would, you know, we talked about continuity and he brought it up pretty much himself saying that, to, uh, you know, the, the film production doesn't like someone who's constantly writing everybody's ass about that, you know, and unfortunately Paramount knows that, that it has, or, you know, Star Trek, the people who are producing Star Trek always know they are under the microscope and that their fan base will rail on them for not doing something right. <clears throat> but what's right is really, always at the hands of the directors. And so you get you get a bullpen of directors who it's like, you know, you start, well, you wonder why you've got like LeVar Burton or Jonathan Frakes or Robbie Duncan McNeil or uh, Roxanne Dawson. Like, why are they directing episodes? Because they want to transfer out of just acting and there's more power in directing and also because actors make excellent directors. Because they're actors. Yeah, and they, they get, know how to take care of the actors. Exactly. You know, you have technical directors and you have actors directors. And sometimes you have some that are really good at both. You have directors who are awesome working with kids and some who are terrible working with kids. Um, and so anyway, blah, blah, blah. You've got this rotating group of directors per season of a series and so, I don't know, folks, if you uh, listeners and subscribers, if you're watching whatever show you happen to be watching, if you're watching Game of Thrones or The Walking Dead or God help us, Grey's Anatomy, that shit's still on. Uh, look at who's directing each episode and then, what, then watch, see who it is on the next episode and whatever. Or, you know, if you don't have that much time to waste, get online and it's, it's all online. Who are the directors this season? This is the great crux of the episode here when he realizes that What's happening is wrong because he's about to get called into engineering to let him know that what had happened was an actually like freak accident. And yeah, that Klingon was, you know, sending stuff to the Romulans, but he's he's just so questioning right here, especially after that scene where he was just talking to the Betazoid. If you if you go back and look at that scene and think about how when Troy is is analyzing and doing her best to focus on someone's emotions. She's very calm. She's very uh, pleasant. But that gentleman was just sitting there with a scowl on his face. Yeah, Yeah, scowl on his face. And that that guy had no chance whatsoever. 
I mean, yeah, it's all the difference in the, the fact of the agenda. It's astronomically improbable that a freak accident would happen on a Starfleet. Well, I'm not going to say a Starfleet ship because how many Oberth class ships have problems that they have to go rescue? But um, on the flagship of the Federation, astronomically improbable. But uh, it stands a chance. I mean, this episode was filmed in 1991, and that was, you know, four or five tragic years, give or take some months, after the Challenger disaster. And you quantify that as being a freak accident? No, it demands an ex- it demands an uh, investigation, and you start to see that there are pressures put on an organization to make shuttle launches and to meet deadlines. The engineers and unfortunately, a lot of people got in a lot of trouble because uh, because an O ring wasn't fitted properly or it wasn't maintained correctly or it was allowed to degrade for favor of schedules or then you go and look at the Apollo 13 incident and you say, okay, you have a freak accident there because there was a, a failed valve on a, on an O2 container that existed two years before it was even installed and, or, uh, before anybody, or what was it? Jim Lovell said, uh, who was, you know, it, it took place, before he was even named, you know, uh, commander of the mission. So how could it possibly have been the fault of the astronaut crew? It's that kind of stuff. So in Starfleet, how could, with all of the maintenance and all the routine checks, especially on the flagship of the Federation, how could this not, how could this actually happen? And so, yeah, you've got the, the amazing coincidences that there happens to be a Romulan spy on board in the form of a, a Klingon. Yeah, you find it hard to believe. This guy, uh, okay, what are you trained in, asshole? Like, do you know any of this? Like, the top guys that know what they're talking about told you this is probably an accident. And you're like, no, no, I don't care. I'm here to, I'm here to hurt people. It's unbelievable. To, I mean, take people down. Counselor Troy is half human, half Beta Z. So I qualify her as being half as capable as an empath as other beta zeds, right. betazoids. And this guy is, if I'm not mistaken, a full betazoid. He so is. it's astonishing that he's reading their minds and he's communicating to them verbally. How can he not be reading their minds and realizing that they absolutely believe what they're saying, you know? And still press it in a, in a subject matter that he's not educated in. I can't show up and question a mechanic that worked on my car. Like, I don't know anything about it. And like, no, no, this is really what happened. No, no, but I don't believe it. I mean, you certainly don't show up and ask the uh, security officer why there was a main, major problem in engineering. Unless, <laughs> yeah. unless there was a, a crime committed there or something, you know? She's ready to go after Picard in this. And if she's one of the ones that voted for him to be head of the Enterprise, 
and just now they're seeing that his infractions, but they think they say that nine times he's broken the prime directive. And he argues, tries to argue at least, you know, taking this out of context. But they, they argue, they argue in the sense that it doesn't matter. Rules were broken. You're going to burn. The actor's doing a good job of playing it, so uh, he's not really a full-on victim. He's hiding the fact that he's half Romulan, but right. the, way he, the, he, the way he's sitting there, is he just looks so defeated already. Yeah, I mean, he's got something to hide, and it doesn't matter that he could, he could, he could have something to hide, like any, he could have anything to hide. This is a more uh, evolved society than we are, but it's worth hiding that you're a quarter Romulan, you know? Right. He could be hiding that he cheated at a basketball game, and he's afraid everybody's about to find out of it. It's it's a career ending question. But in the end, I don't think that's what's going to happen. I mean, he's he's not going to lose out because he's a quarter Romulan. Yeah, I don't remember them saying at the end of this episode whether or not he, you know, lost his job. But Picard was. I like how Picard is more concerned about making sure that a man is innocent until proven guilty, above a severe flaw in the actual enterprise itself. There's something. Something more important here. Well, it's very questionable that someone would lie on their, you know, entry application and stuff like that. It goes way, way back. This embarrassing, uh, non, non-information that he, you know, he didn't say that he was a quarter Romulan. They did do a poor job in his ears, though. Oh no, 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 no! I don't agree with that. They are subdued. Because he's three quarter human. Deliberately and premeditatively lied when you filled out your personnel application and compounded that lie by repeating it to this committee. Isn't it true that plead the fifth F I F Oh he did he totally lied. He didn't conceal information. Yeah, he lied. He lied that he was part Vulcan. Man, this is almost man, this makes me think of uh Kill a Mockingbird? A little bit, yeah. <clears throat> makes me think of some original series episodes I, I've watched. See how crisp that is? That was sharp, yeah. There was Man, there's Patricia Tallman again. Crusher's uh, stand-in or... Stunt uh, double, or mainly. Stunt double. She, she also portrayed a lot of... She's this gorgeous redhead we're all talking about here. Um, she uh, frequently... She played Dr. Crusher when she gets pushed off of the boat in uh, Star Trek Generations, if you all recall, the holodeck uh, promotion scene. And um, she, uh, she frequently plays aliens. Like, she's a Romulan in one episode in the coming up and then she's uh other aliens now and again but when she gets to play a starfleet crewman it's always cool there was um what was it there's a there's a really she's really obvious when she's listening to riker 
tell her a story on the bridge in Data's day. <laughs> She's at the tactical console on the bridge and just like, is Riker hitting on this gorgeous redhead? <laughs> of course he is. Now, what does this button do? Well, that's a really interesting <laughs> button. Those who came to Drumhead were doomed. That's why it's called that. There's a really good episode. She's in the, uh, she's flying a uh, shuttle with uh, with Worf, but I don't recall her ever having any lines. <clears throat> I wonder if Worf had given his blood ribosomes. I don't remember what it was. If he'd given his blood to that Romulan officer in uh, the episode where they, where Jordy was, where Jordy didn't have his visor working anymore. They were on Galorndon Corps, and they had the other Romulan officer. You remember that one? He needed a blood transfusion, and Worf was the only one who could give him the blood. I wonder if I do. This, this. Heated conversation would have happened if Worf had given his blood to that dying Romulan. You may notice that Captain Picard just walked past that wonderful wall full of uh, gold starship reliefs. Yes. Uh, those are, of course different different ships bearing the name Enterprise and uh tragically you know obviously the NX01 isn't on there and then the sublight uh, starship enterprise and some other enterprises aren't visible there but um god dude it just sucks like in later seasons they get rid of that wall in favor of a really kind of blah looking wall and uh I don't know. I never liked that they did that. Would have stuck with the starship wall. Of course, it is beautifully redone in Star Trek First Contact. This is also one of those great episodes where it's written particularly that if you were actually there, you wouldn't understand everything going on because we're the we're the viewer. It's it's written specifically for the viewer. Hmm. Right on. Because right here, if anyone else had been in this room to to really get to know what this kid's about, I don't think that most of this would have really happened. Just leave him alone. He's he's obviously devoted to Starfleet. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, do you think he has anything to prove because he's a quarter Romulan? No, I think he's just happy to be there. Like when he, like he's talking about right now about how he he just couldn't be an officer. He just was so eager to just get the hell up to the stars that yeah. he would instead of taking the training, learning everything he could to be as high ranking as he could. He just he was happy just being a medical assistant, just being part of the team. Picard really likes him in this already. This is this is the kid solidifying. Well, Picard's I think gut instinct. I think you're right. I think that Picard sees a little bit of himself in this young man, you know. I do like the makeup job in this woman to the left. The what job? The makeup job. Oh yeah. It's subtle. It's subtle, but obviously alien. Right, yeah, this extra extra bit of the 
uh, prosthesis for the nose, mm-hmm. the, the bridge of the nose and the eyebrows, mess with their hair a bit. They yeah. found a, a Waif S model that doesn't look like anybody ever and manipulated really her hair. Yeah, wonder, she is. Tall. I don't remember. I mean, I kind of recall maybe messing around with the uh, that mesh outerwear she's got on, but I don't remember if she had any, you know, platform boots or something like that. <clears throat> this is an unusually wide shot of the re- of the uh, ready room. Her name is Ann Shay. I'm I I went to her IDB just I just figured there'd be like some sort of blurb that she used to be a model in some way. Who uh Oh, you're looking at that previous actress? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Oh, she's only been in one, two, three, five things. This is the first thing she ever did. Oh, wow. That happens. Yeah. She, Jean she Simmons here. She started working in 1944. Hmm. I believe she died in 2010. She was 80. <clears throat> what you're not one of us yeah captain picard doesn't back down from stuff like that he might have to oh wow he just stood into it and he's like no we're not doing that this is consistency i really dig that they maintain I think Patrick Stewart and I think that the writers were really honorable in that they maintained this is not how Ca- Captain Picard would not roll over this for thing. Some, yeah, he wouldn't roll over for something like this no matter whether you know this celebrity admiral and her celebrity admiral father and Whatever else she may have got him in the past, because any number of admirals could have signed those orders. But, uh... He's just... They they maintain this throughout the series and into the movies. Star Trek Insurrection gets a lot of crap from a lot of people. It's the ninth Star Trek movie. Uh... Because in the end, I don't really even know if it's good. I don't know if it's a good movie. I've got to the point where I find every Star Trek movie watchable on its own merits. Even Star Trek V, I actually got to the point where I like that movie a lot now. And um, for a long time, Star Trek V and Star Trek XI Insurrection were just things that I, I just like, man, I can't believe it. But the more I've watched them, the more I like them. And you watch this. And you see Captain Picard in Insurrection. I'm taking the com badge off. I'm not wearing the rank. I will not be a, a party to this bullshit going on on this planet. I'm not going to be involved in, you know, removal of aliens. Which is crazy because he, you know, the Federation Council was allowing for that in uh, in an episode in the, uh, what is it, the seventh season? Dorzan 4? With uh, the Indian removal. Like, they did an Indian removal episode. And I know you haven't seen that yet, Joshua, but, like, 
I'm just talking about the power of consistency that they played to get him from... I think that he learned from this incident, the character of Picard learns from this incident and that carries over into insurrection bundled up with what he learned from uh, the incident with the, uh, the uh, Indian removal to make insurrection what it is. And here begins some masterful manipulation. He's telling it like it is. Yeah. He's he's telling it like it is. She brings up violating the prime directive. He already has acknowledged it. And then he turns it around on her. And she's already given him her weakness, mm-hmm. her father. And she's just, when she was telling him earlier about how much she loved getting the best of her big brothers at the dinner table when her father would make them debate and how she just relished breaking them with logic. And he went in there armed and dangerous. Oh yeah. He, I think that's the he didn't know what of she his was going to do. Sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah. Yeah. She, he didn't know what she was going to say, but he knew that if, if, if push came to shove, he could break her by bringing up the dad because she doesn't even like thinking of him as being part of Starfleet. She thinks he's scum now. And if he starts talking admirably about her father, it's going to absolutely tick her off to the point where it knocks her off her, her balance and she's going to make a mistake. Oh, we've seen it multiple times. You know, they did it to Jadan early and then they did it to Simon a minute ago. And now Mm -hmm. instead of, now that he's on, now that he's in the chair, he's flipping it on her. You know, it's rare just, to see that done in any court situation because usually the lawyer is badgering the witness and they break down the the witness. You don't usually have a story where the lawyer and the uh, the prosecuted or whoever happens to be in the in the box on the stand where they get to uh, have the amount of conversation that these two characters have had in this episode. Do you think this was one of the things that, let me phrase this. Do you think this episode is an episode that had some cultural references that are going to be lost to people because they don't realize what time this came out at? And why it might have been something that might have struck a chord in the writers that developed this particular episode to take something from that's actually happening. Like, for example, uh, what I'm thinking here is McCarthyism, and then I'm thinking more Iran-Contra, Oliver North. Um, Iran, the Iran-Contra – yeah, dude. I, yeah, you're talking about um – You're talking honestly. You're talking about the failure of our school system to teach anybody history, which is a uh, troublesome. And the fact that we have so many people who are more or less interested in voting for socialism, uh, which, dude, it is hard to argue that this federation isn't a socialism, but at least it has Agreed. everybody's freedoms in mind. 
It desperately, we are desperately, we're looking at the possibility that this socialism is desperately trying to maintain one person's freedom. And most socialisms don't give one flying fig Newton about anybody's freedom. Uh, no, calm down, Morf. Calm down. So what? I, what I guess you're you're saying is that like looking at yeah, think about it. It's 1991 when they made this episode. This episode they this took merely two days to film, and that look at the the acting prowess of Gene Simmons and uh, everybody else for that matter in this episode. The people who are already well tuned to it. They did this episode over a Wednesday and a a Tuesday and a Wednesday. In, in 1991 and <clears throat> 1991, what was going on? The Soviet Union would be collapsing on December 25th of that year. Uh, yeah, the Iran-Contra affairs. Oh, my God. That's, that's the late 80s, though. Yeah, but still, the writers have to take it from somewhere. You go back and look at the Enterprise at, at the series Enterprise. The Suliban were the Taliban. Uh, and the Zindi attack is definitely September 11th. But it's history. What what builds into these episodes? This episode also, I think this is questionable, or not questionable, but I think it is something that we got to perceive around September 11th. Witch hunts. Who are all the bad guys who are waiting in our midst to do us harm, you know? Uh, that's going to be my final thought on this episode, particularly okay. witch hunt. Yeah. That's, I've got a lot to say about that. Here we go. There you break. <laughs> yeah. That was a great, uh, that was a great camera move, by the way, keeping her in, in frame and in focus like that. Check and mate. He's just looking at her. He knows just let her, he gave her all the rope she needed to hang herself. Yeah, and I mean, Worf if he like, said oh. anything, it would might break her uh, momentum. Yep. yep, Worf's looking, oh, this is why he wanted me to shut up. Just, just not, not just so I'm not acting like a jackass during these proceedings. All right, I've had enough. Yeah, this is over. Is that Admiral Watley? I can't recall. Yes, I saw it a second ago. Okay. Oh, the shaking. So good. So good. Uh-oh. I don't it's understand over. how I'm a lost. Betazoid wouldn't have been able to lean over and put a hand on her to get her to chill the F out before she had an outburst, you know? I was wrong. Admiral Thomas Henry. Oh, was it? Okay. I dare say Watley shows up in uh, Deep Space Nine. I'm questioning this court proceeding. Is this a tribunal? Not exactly. Is this uh is this just questioning? This seems is more it, like a grand jury convening before the actual trial starts. Yeah. Whether if whether if, if it's worth to even pursue this and everyone knows it's over. There's not good there's this recess is effectively the period at the end of the sentence for this. This is over. It's amazing how quickly her two uh, compatriots just abandoned her. <laughs> dude, for real. They didn't even you, you have somebody to whom you've been uh, catering all this time and you're writing 
her coattails. You've hitched your wagon to this person, and now they just walked out. They didn't sit down and try to console her. It's fascinating. That gives them a little bit more credibility rather than to make them some kind of like yes men or something like, uh, oh, what is it? Chris Chris Tucker plays in uh, The Fifth Element. <laughs> Ruby Rod, oh, those type yeah, of guys. They, they, they're not, yeah, they they're not leave, those guys. They didn't leave Ruby. Ruby, Ruby. <laughs> yeah. What a great scene here. Burning of Witches. Man, jurisprudence. Don't take it so hard, Worf. You're constantly getting shut down for all kinds of stuff. Well, at least now he's questioning this this you know mob I, mentality. Yeah. I wonder about, you know, the next time I see Michael Dorn, I want to ask him about it. And I'm sure it's presented in probably Larry Nemechek, Star Trek companion or the uh, God, I can't think of who wrote the one for Deep Space Nine, but it is extraordinary. <laughs> um, and not to say I love Larry Nemechek and I know him personally. Uh, he had the wherewithal to write the uh, Star Trek Next Generation companion. It was great, but. On the merits of uh, having somebody following in the footsteps of somebody who'd done it before, the Deep Space Nine one is us. It is so damn good. So, like I say, the information might be there. It's worth looking into. But um, Michael Dorn, when he uh, hey, I'm gonna stop it by the way. When he <laughs> got the opportunity to play Worf in Deep Space Nine, I wonder if he came in. And said, look, yeah, of course, but uh, I have a caveat. I don't want somebody shutting me down every time I've got an idea, like in in Next Generation. And that being said, I'm saying don't write situations where I'm getting shut down all the time. My character would have grown by now. The circumstances would have, been ch- would have changed. I'm a different rank, okay? I'm a lieutenant commander now. I don't want to be like, I want to throw Making out the, the most obvious... Mistakes you know, violent or aggressive stance we could take with this thing. Fire the phasers. Uh, that'll be all Mr. Worf. They do it all yeah. the time. So it's really cool to me when we see Worf not being that guy or growing because Worf and Data, I think, are the two characters who have the most distance to cross growing as people. Because Jordy despite the fact that he has issues with, you know, asking girls out and uh, whatever, is totally confident otherwise. He was an awesome flight control officer, and he, w- and he is an astonishing engineer. And um, he's always there for Data. He's always there for, for Wesley. But uh, Worf has a lot of growing to do because he is a... He is a He's a fish out of water, just like Data is, you know? That would have driven me nuts if I was the actor, too. With, with Dorn? <laughs> yeah, don't don't keep me in the same pigeonhole. as You know, I'm a great character. Can't be making all these same mistakes because everyone else is growing. Yeah. 
hell, even Wesley. Just like, oh, Wesley grew up a lot too in the in the fraction of time that we got him. Unfortunately, he kind of regresses a bit uh, later. But um, no spoilers. No spoilers. Uh, the last thing I wanted to say about this is how it did remind me immediately of the witch hunt and the actual Salem witch trials. Uh, people from the village accusing people in the town of witchcraft and then the actual state, the federal government was one of the first times they actually really had to press their influence because it was still at a time of the colonies were still didn't give two flying shits about, about, oh, the, yeah. about the, about the union. And, Oh, they didn't have, there. uh, they didn't even have, um, uh, Oh, what's Magna Carta yet? Did they? Oh no, dude, this was, this was the, 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 the union was already, you know, assembled like the United States existed. It's, no, no, it did not. In well, ma- the area of Massachusetts, we're talking not Magna Carta, Miranda rights. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm not so sure that it did. Wait a minute. This was in the 1600s, the Salem witch trials. This was pre pre United States. You're saying it was the colonies. You're not saying that the U.S. existed at that point, right? No, I'm not. OK. Six, not 1693. Yeah, it happened in 1600s, uh, late 1600s, and it'd be almost, uh, it'd be, you know, about 70, some, 70 some odd years before the uh, United States came into being. So there, I'm nobody was protected this. by the Bill of Rights or... No, well, uh, well I, I'm losing all my credibility. Anyway, I, for that matter. Anyway, all, I'm no, wanted, all, all I really wanted to point out in is that someone had to come in and qualm this religious fervor. Yeah. And that's what this woman was doing. And it was, it was wrong. And what they did, they had to, he knew the the main guy investigating the, the Salem witch trials knew that these people weren't witches, but he knew that these people were so fanatical about, about religion that he actually, and he knew these people weren't witches and really emphasize that he let a couple of these people get executed because he knew these people were going to calm down until a couple of people were brought to that such extreme justice. And Man, that's what Picard. Really? Yeah. And, and that's what Picard was really, I think trying to hammer into Worf was, you know, we can't let these things happen because once they do that sort of ex- extremism, it'll take over. I wonder, uh, uh, Man, I lost my train of thought. Sorry. I was simultaneously looking at that and looking at Michael Doran trying to figure out whether or not uh <coughs> whether or not he had uh, much say about how his character changed. But um Yeah, man. Hmm. That's a, that's all I got for this, man. I guys, everyone that's listening to these that we're doing it for, uh let us know if you want us to do a particular one. It's Colin and Josh at minefieldscomicspodcast.com. Drop us a line if you like what we're doing, if you don't like what we're doing, if there's something in particular you can't wait for us to do, let us know. That way we'll give you a shout out or or at least get to it faster for you. Yeah, yeah, we'd appreciate it. Um, I know we uh, we did a Star Trek episode on May the 4th, and uh, we I thought back on it. I was like, why didn't we just watch a Star Wars movie and, and go over it that way? But um... I would have said no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, well. All right. Hey, uh yeah, let us know what you think about that episode and what we had to say about it. What did we miss? I'd really like to know what we missed. That's we're always trying to expand ourselves and that that's part of it. So uh 
Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, over and out. Over and out. <laughs>